Looking at Ephesians chapter 3, as we've been doing our study in the book of Ephesians, we now enter chapter 3. Only one more chapter to go in, in Ephesians before we get to 4, 5, and 6, which emphasizes the conduct of the Christian life. And the Apostle Paul, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, he emphasizes uh, doctrine or teaching or theology of the Christian life, or our position in Christ. And in the last three chapters, he gets very practical. Uh, so that's going to be a neat transition. But right now, he's just laying the foundation of what we need to know as Christians of who we are in Christ as individuals and also corporately as a church together. And that's what he's been emphasizing. Chapter 1 was the emphasis on personal individual salvation we have in Christ. Chapter 2, he introduced this idea of corporate salvation we have in the church, both Jew and Gentile being brought together, created in this new entity called the church, the body of Christ, what Paul refers to in Ephesians 2 as one new man, a new reality, a new era, a new epic, a new thing that God is doing called the church. And now Paul transitions in chapter 3, and he's going to keep talking about this theme, this great truth of this one new man. And he's going to reemphasize it and talk about it in a different way with a little different twist and a little more personal emphasis because in chapter 3 he refers to himself many times with the pronoun I. So he gets real personal in this chapter. Also, if you look at Ephesians chapter 3, just a couple of things about chapter 3, uh, starting at verse 1. Paul says, For this reason, or in light of the great truth that I just talked about, that Jews and Gentiles can now be one on an equal par, an equal level in Christ before God, the Jews are not superior to Gentiles who believe in Christ. In light of that reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, I, he's about to say a prayer, is what he's doing. And, but he skips 12 verses before he begins his prayer. Look at down at verse 14. Notice that verse 1 and verse 14 begin the same way. For this reason, I, Paul. And then in verse 14, for this reason, I, Paul. So he got interrupted. Verses 2 through 13, that's called a parenthesis. Before he prays, oh, I forgot something. It's kind of like me. So he has to interject what's on his heart before he says this prayer. So in verse 14, he's going to pick up that prayer. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. So he goes with this long prayer starting at verse 14. But before he gets to his prayer, he has to say one more time, highlight this great truth that his Gentile believers need to understand and need to get indelibly impressed upon their mind and their brain of this great new truth, this great new reality called the church, the new man, the body of Christ, that they are privileged to be a part of it. So Paul is going to talk about it again with a little different emphasis. So Paul's going to reemphasize what he's already introduced, this idea of Jew and Gentile who believe in Christ coming together as one new man. And the emphasis here is going to be his personal involvement in it, his role that God called him to, or Jesus Christ called him to. Uh, that's why I put at the top, I called this section, Paul, Secret Agent. Do you like it when people share secrets with you? Do you like secrets? Well, God gave Paul many secrets. And that's what this chapter is all about. And actually, these secrets are called mysteries. Uh, God gave the Apostle Paul privileged information. But he did, God didn't want Paul to keep it a secret. God wanted Paul to shout it from the rooftop to tell everybody these secrets that God has been holding for epics, eons, all time as a matter of fact. And Paul was privileged to hear the very secrets of God and reveal these secrets to the church. That's why I call Paul here a secret agent. He had secret information God gave him and he gave to the church. He gives some of us some of these key secrets right here. But look in your Bible at chapter 3 again. I just want to highlight three verses. Look at verse 3. That by the revelation there was made known to me the mystery. That word mystery says it in verse 3. The end of verse 4. 
the mystery of Christ. He says the word mystery two times there, and then finally look at verse 9. Still talking about the same thing. In the middle of verse 9, he refers to the mystery. These are the secrets I'm talking about. So we're going to be talking about the mysteries of God, one specific mystery in particular that God gave the Apostle Paul that he shared with the Ephesian church, and actually that he shared with the entire church for all ages, and these mysteries or secrets are for us to know, you and I, those who believe in Jesus Christ today, and they are amazing truths, amazing secrets, because they are no longer secrets. Um, But before we go, let's follow along as I read just verses 1 through 6 as Paul introduces his truth. He says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. And by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So here Paul introduces This great mystery he wants all Christians, really, of all ages to know. And I said there that more than any other apostle, Paul, who was the special apostle, the apostle to the Gentiles, he was entrusted with more mysteries by God that he was to reveal and explain to the church. And in Ephesians 3 here, Paul delineates the greatest of the mysteries that he revealed to the saints. We're going to talk about that mystery. Notice on your handout on the back, I listed other mysteries that the apostle Paul gave to the church. And they are very specific. And I listed those there. And they all have to do with Christ in some way and the church. And they're all distinct and very specific. And this is the greatest of the mysteries that Paul was given by God to explain to the churches. So let's go ahead and look at that mystery and also Paul's call as an apostle and special emissary of God to divulge this mystery to the church. Came up with three main points about the apostle Paul and his mission here to give us this great truth. But before we do... Point number one, I want to talk about what a mystery is. What is a mystery? Because if I were to ask you and took a poll in today's vernacular, what is a mystery, we'd come up with different definitions. And for the most part, your average person would come up with a different definition that doesn't coincide with the New Testament word for mystery. Because if we say, what is a mystery today? A mystery is something we don't know, right? We'd say, oh, that's a mystery. I don't know how that works. That's a mystery. I don't know how that happened. Or they're a mystery to me. I haven't figured them out yet. They are obscure. I don't understand them. So today, in our vernacular, a mystery is something that cannot be figured out. That's different from what we're talking about here, and mysteries in the New Testament. A mystery in the New Testament is something that can be figured out, that God wants everybody to know, and that God purposed to reveal to every Christian. So a mystery in the New Testament is designed that we should know it. It shouldn't stay a mystery. So that's the difference between a New Testament mystery and what we're talking about. Uh, But I put there, a New Testament mystery refers to a truth hidden in the Old Testament, that's your first blank there, spiritual truth of God, hidden in the Old Testament, but now revealed by God in the New Testament because of the work and the life of Christ. There were truths that God kept secret for all time, until the New Testament times, and even until the the time of the apostles, where God began to reveal new truth. And that's what we're talking about, these mysteries that Jesus and God gave to the apostles to give to the church. These were hidden truths. A couple of things you need to know about New Testament mysteries. Letter A, Jesus revealed mysteries about the kingdom of God in Matthew 13. The parables, or the mysteries of the kingdom, he called them. Jesus was giving new truth about the kingdom of God that had not been revealed in the Old Testament. 
B, a mystery was not for an elite few, but for all believers. A mystery is truth that every Christian should know or God intends them to know. It's not just for the smart people or the elite. Also, a mystery could not be discovered by human intuition or knowledge. didn't matter how smart you were, how hard you studied. A New Testament mystery is not something that you can figure out on your own human ingenuity and knowledge. A New Testament mystery is given by God. That's the distinctive. D, a mystery was not to remain a secret. We've already addressed that. A mystery is something God wants us to know. He wants the church to know all the mysteries that he has revealed through the apostles. And then finally, God revealed the mysteries at his sovereign discretion. He determined who he was going to reveal the mysteries to, and that was, for the most part, the New Testament apostles and prophets. And God determined when he was going to reveal those mysteries. He did it at different times. So let's go on to these three main points about the Apostle Paul and his job to reveal these mysteries and one mystery in particular he wants us to know to the church here mentioned in Ephesians 3 verses 1 through 6. Point number one there is that God enlisted Paul for a unique mission. Paul was unique. Paul was an apostle, as he says in chapter 1 verse 1, but he was a unique apostle of Jesus Christ. He wasn't one of the twelve. He was selected at a different time, in in a different manner, and even with a specific purpose, a unique purpose as an apostle. God called, enlisted Paul for a unique mission, and point number one was that God called, uh, called Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles. That's what he says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse here. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, the believers in the city of Ephesus were primarily Gentiles. In other words, they were not Jewish people by heritage, by lineage, by religion. So they were non-Jews, and probably most of us in here are non-Jewish in terms of our origin. So Paul would be even speaking us to us today like this. He was an apostle specifically to the Gentile people. And, and Paul had a great love and affection for the Gentile people, which is an amazing thing because Paul was Jewish. He was raised as a Pharisee. That means a Jew of all Jews. And as a matter of fact, uh, as he was raised as a Pharisee, he didn't like Gentiles. He was very biased and prejudiced towards Gentiles, but God changed his heart and made him a new man And the Apostle Paul developed a love, a compassion, and even a passion for Gentile unbelievers that they would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's what God called the Apostle Paul to do. He was an apostle for the sake of the Gentiles. That was awesome. By the way, most of his ministries, we see Paul wrote 13 books in the New Testament. And if we think about those books, the Romans, the Philippians, the Corinthians, the Galatians, the Ephesians, and so on, These were people who were Gentiles in Gentile parts of the world where the Apostle Paul had gone, traveled, preached, planted churches, pastored in those churches. This was among the Gentile peoples. That was Paul's calling. That was his passion. That was his mission. And it was a unique one that God uh, set on Paul's heart. As a matter of fact, when Paul got saved, he used to be Saul and he used to hate Christians. He used to persecute Christians. He even used to kill Christians is what he says in Acts chapter 22 and other places, he persecuted the church. He persecuted Christians. And as he was out persecuting Christians, the first Christian martyr, one of the first ones, was Stephen, it says in the book of Acts. And it says the Sanhedrin, when they had a mock trial and they were um, had Stephen before the Sanhedrin chained or whatever it was as a criminal, and then they seized Stephen, they took him out and they stoned him to death. It says that Saul was there as an eyewitness. As a matter of fact, everybody was taking off their robes and putting them at the feet of Saul. Meaning Saul was there when Stephen was killed. Saul was approving and Saul was probably even in charge in some manner of the execution. Unbelievable. God changed this man's heart. And so when Jesus appeared to 
to Saul and saved him. In Acts chapter 9, Jesus called him and he told him specifically, I'm going to call you and you're going to be an instrument of mine to the Gentiles. That was his calling. So he had a unique mission, a calling to the Gentiles. And we thank him for that. Thank God that used him that way. Also, he had a unique mission in that God called Paul to a life of hardship. That's your next blank there. God called Paul to a life of hardship. Let me read Acts chapter 9 where the Apostle Paul got saved. Jesus confronted him on the road to Damascus. By the way, he was on the road to Damascus to go hunt down Christians, to incarcerate them, to torture them, to get them to recant their faith and maybe even kill some of them. The Lord Jesus put a stop to that. Jesus blinded Saul and said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You're persecuting the church. And God saved Saul. And then in chapter 9, verse 15, listen to what the Lord Jesus said from heaven about the Apostle Paul when he saved Paul. He said, go, and he's talking to Ananias, who would become a friend of Paul. He says, go, for Saul, or Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and before kings and before the sons of Israel. And here's the key, verse 16. For, and this is Jesus talking. For I will show him, that is Paul, how much he must suffer for my name's sake. From the word go, Paul's job description had in it that he would suffer for Jesus. He would endure hardship his whole Christian ministry and his whole Christian life. Well, that does not sound very appealing, especially as a pastor. Today, many pastors, we don't have to be subjected to this kind of calling where it's riddled with persecution and suffering of the greatest measure. Today, we can look at resumes and different churches and profiles, and, and we can kind of take our pick, like we're picking flavors of ice cream. Oh, I'll go here. Oh, their salary is nice. Oh, this is good. Oh, they provide health insurance. Oh, they have a nice facility. Oh, they've got a lot of neat programs. And then we can pick and choose, for the most part, in this day and age. The Apostle Paul, he couldn't pick and choose. He was called into ministry by the Lord Jesus himself and said, You are called as my instrument, and you are going to suffer in the process for me. And he did. The Apostle Paul suffered greatly. You can read about it in Corinthians. He was persecuted for his faith. Every time he went into a town to preach, especially in the synagogues, he got chased out of the synagogue. Many times he got chased out of town. Many times he was beat up and they dragged him and kicked him out of town and left him for dead. The Apostle Paul was uh, arrested many times. He was arrested at the end of his ministry in the city of Jerusalem. Unjustly, false charges. He never committed a crime. And then after being arrested in Jerusalem, he went to prison in Caesarea for two years, being held under false charges and false pretense. Then after uh, being in prison in Caesarea for two years, then he was sent to Rome where he was in prison for another two years at least. So he spent five years in prison. It was brutal. And it was from the prison in Rome, the end of his life, where he wrote this epistle of Ephesians. So he wasn't concerned about himself, even though he was about to die, even though he was suffering, even though he was being deprived and neglected. All he cared about were the saints. All he cared about was meeting the needs of Jesus and the mission that God had called him to. So he pours out his heart in this book called the Ephesians to these wonderful Gentile Christians that Paul so loved to give them great truth, to give them the mystery. He even says at the end of this book in Ephesians 6, verse 19, he asked them to pray for him. He is in prison. He is in shackles. For what? For being a Christian. Christianity is not against the law in America today. Did you know that? It is in some places. In Saudi Arabia, Christianity is against the law. In many communist countries, Christianity is against the law today. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6.19, Pray for me, 
on my behalf, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. He was in chains. He was a prisoner. Because of the Roman government, because of the Jews who hated him, but Paul didn't see it that way. His perspective was, I'm, I'm in chains for Jesus, for his cause, for his sake. So that was a unique calling that the Apostle Paul had. God enlisted Paul for a unique mission, and that was Paul was called to a life of hardship and suffering as a Christian. By the way, every Christian is called to a life of hardship and suffering. Did you know that? Here's a couple promises. You know those little Bible promise books you can buy, like at Safeway and Albertsons, and you read through those, and they're, they're, it's full of Bible promises, and most of those promises, they're very happy promises. They give you the warm fuzzies. They remind you of the goodness of God, the blessing of God. Those good, and that's great to be encouraged from the promises of God. But there are other promises in Scripture as well that are somewhat disconcerting or they're a challenge. And here's a couple of promises. Um, Acts 14.22, Paul promised the Christians and said, it is through hardships that we will enter the kingdom of God. Ouch. I don't like that promise from the Bible. Or 2 Timothy 3.12, the Apostle Paul says, Anybody who desires to live a godly life must suffer hardship. Uh, and that's a promise. I don't like that promise, Paul. Life is hard enough as it is. And when you become a Christian, it just becomes harder. Because when you become a Christian, you just get more enemies in your life. Like the devil, and sin, and the world. So the Christian life is not easy. It is not a walk in the rose garden. It is hard. It is difficult. And Paul reminds us of that. He is the exemplary model for us to follow in the midst of hardship, to remain faithful, dependent upon Christ in the midst of our suffering as we follow him. So that's the unique mission of the Apostle Paul. Point number two, God equipped Paul for his unique mission, and he equipped him through a supernatural method. What was that supernatural method? Well, God gave Paul supernatural revelation. Supernatural revelation. Paul goes on, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you. I am your teacher. I am your representative. I am your apostle. I give you words from God. Verse 3, he says, That by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. The specific word revelation refers to supernatural, direct, divine revelation that God gave to the Apostle Paul. It's, it's pretty encouraging. Ever since 1792 in the Christian world was one of the, when one of the first Bible scholarly commentators came out and began criticizing the Apostle Paul and saying that Paul was just a man. Paul made mistakes. Paul just gave his opinion. As a matter of fact, Paul didn't write some of the books of the Bible. Paul didn't write the book of Ephesians. And that's filtered down into the church. And it's even going on today in the evangelical church, where people are questioning the Apostle Paul and his authority. And, and I've been reading some of this recent literature. It's, it's in our bookstores, where people are questioning the authority of Paul. And now, it is not uncommon for some evangelical Christians and even evangelical pastors to be pitting the Apostle Paul against Jesus and making a false dichotomy saying that the words of Jesus take precedence and priority and are more important than the words of the Apostle Paul. So the Gospels are more important than the 13 epistles of the Apostle Paul, is what is being said today. That is wrong. That's unbelievable. And that shouldn't be the case, because Paul reminds us right here, look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. He tells them, Paul, I am an apostle of Christ Jesus. You can't pit the Apostle Paul against Jesus. 
Paul is the spokesperson, the mouthpiece of Jesus. So that's what he tells us. And he reminds us that again in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I speak for Jesus. I represent Jesus. I'm an ambassador for Jesus. And he wrote scripture down on behalf of Jesus. So the 13 epistles of the Apostle Paul are just as authoritative, important, and binding as the four Gospels about the life of, of Jesus Christ himself. We need to understand that that is very important, especially in this day and age, when the writings of the Apostle Paul are being questioned and undermined. I mean, there are literally evangelical teachers and pastors saying things blatantly like, Paul was wrong about certain things. He was wrong when in 1 Corinthians 7. He was wrong in the book of Titus. He made a mistake. He didn't know what he was talking about. Or that was his opinion. That is not what Peter thought about the Apostle Paul. If you have your Bible, look at 2 Peter chapter 3 real quick. To just show where Peter, who was handpicked by Jesus and commissioned as the head apostle and the spokesperson of the twelve apostles, and the apostle to the Jews, the apostle who helped found the first church in Jerusalem, Peter, one of the most well-known apostles, he met Paul, he respected Paul, he endorsed Paul's ministry, and he even says this amazing thing about the apostle Paul's ministry and the scriptures that Paul wrote in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. Listen to what he says. Peter says, Regard the patience of the Lord to be salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him by God, wrote to you, as also in all of his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. Peter had a hard time studying Paul sometimes. Which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. Notice he equates Paul's writings with Scripture. Holy writings, authoritative from God. All that just to say... What Paul wrote is what God said. Supernatural revelation. Also, God prepared the Apostle Paul. Going back to Ephesians chapter 3, God prepared Paul with a supernatural method through giving him the privilege of supernatural revelation. But also, B, God made Paul a holy apostle. You know, the Apostle Paul underwent great criticism many times. Uh, Sometimes it was from fellow Jews who undermined him. And many times there's just people in his own congregation who question his authority. Yeah, Paul's different. He's not as authoritative as the other 12 apostles. So Paul had to continually resist that. So Paul states here and reminds them that, no, he is an authoritative spokesperson. He himself is even a holy apostle. So look at verse 5 in Ephesians chapter 3. He says, "Which uh, This mystery in other generations, which was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles. And he was referring to himself because God gave... Uh, the Apostle Paul, more mysteries than anybody else to give to the church. Paul refers to himself as a holy apostle. And a holy apostle is somebody who spoke authoritatively for God and for Jesus. Number four on your outline there, God commissioned Paul to proclaim a divine message. So this is the content of the mystery he wants to tell us in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. What was this divine message that Paul was given? Well, letter A, God gave Paul a mystery for the churches. I put there in verse 2. He received this stewardship, this mystery, this divine revelation. He says in verse 2, was given to me for you. I'm writing on your behalf. God gave it to me not to keep for myself, but to give it to you, to give it to the saints. A great treasure. And that's what God called him to do, and that's what he did. He did it very faithfully. Mysteries of the church that he gave us. Letter B. 
something you need to know about this mystery. The mystery was not revealed in the Old Testament. These mysteries that God gave Paul to give to the church were truths that were hidden in the Old Testament. It's new information. Jesus didn't talk about these things. The Old Testament prophets didn't talk about these things. That's what he says in chapter 3, verse 5. This mystery, verse 5, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men. In other words, nobody on planet Earth ever heard of these truths. These are new truths I'm giving you. Look at verse 9, chapter 3 of Ephesians. Where again, he refers to the mystery. And to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God. God hid these truths for all history to reveal them for the first time through the Apostle Paul and the other apostles. For us to know for the first time. Amazing truths. Well, what is this mystery? Well, let us see. He goes on. This mystery is fulfilled in Christ. These Paul gave about nine, ten specific mysteries to the church. All of them were related to Christ, the person of Christ, the life of Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ. They were all fulfilled and exposed and revealed through Christ. He was the key. Christ is the key to knowing the mysteries. It was through Him. And that's how people could come to know these mysteries. Because he says at the end of verse 6, he says, regarding these mysteries, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ, Jesus through the gospel. Do you want to know these mysteries? Well, God wants us to know these mysteries. How can we know these mysteries, these truths that are revealed to the church for the first time? It is through a relationship through Jesus Christ, and it is through believing the gospel. And that is believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, that he got punished by the Father on the cross, that he was buried, and three days later he rose again from the dead, And he conquered Satan, death, the world, your own sin for you because he loves you. And then Jesus ascended into heaven and Jesus rules on high as Lord over all today. That is the gospel. And if you believe in that and ask Christ Jesus to come into your life, then you become a Christian. And God supernaturally opens your eyes of understanding and you can understand for the first time in your life these amazing mysteries that Paul revealed to the church. There are secrets no more. But we can know the very mind of God. So these mysteries are fulfilled in Christ. And then most specifically, letter D. Well, what is this divine message, Paul? What is the content of this mystery you're talking about in chapter 3? Well, the mystery is the church. That is that Jews and Gentiles now make one new body. That is the mystery. He says it very specifically. To be specific, verse 6, here's the mystery. That the Gentiles, non-Jews are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body, the body of Christ, the church. They have equal status, whether you're a believing Jew or a believing Gentile, you have equal status in Christ if you are a member of the church, Christ's body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That is the mystery. So the church is the mystery. The body of Christ is the mystery. And let me just in closing say this, what the mystery is not. The mystery is not that Jews would be saved or that Jews, or I mean that Gentiles would be saved or that Gentiles would be blessed because in the Old Testament God promised that the Gentiles would be blessed and that Gentiles could be saved and that Gentiles could affiliate with Jews. But the condition was for a Gentile to be saved a Gentile had to become a Jew first. A Gentile man if he wanted to become saved had to be circumcised and follow the Jewish law and become literally an Israelite or a Jew. All throughout the Old Testament, that was God's requirement. So that's not the mystery. The mystery is that in the New Testament, with the resurrection of Christ, there is a new order. And that is now, in order to get saved and to be blessed by God, a Gentile doesn't have to first become a Jew. A Gentile can simply go directly to the Lord Jesus Christ, 
believe in him, call out his name, and the Lord Jesus Christ would make him a new person and add that believing Gentile to the new entity called the body of Christ, the church. That is the mystery that Paul gave us. So this thing that we are a part of, we're part of the local church, but we are also part of the universal church. All believers everywhere. We are all one body through Jesus Christ. And all believers for the last 2,000 years who believed in Christ, we are all one body, one new man, one entity. That is a new truth that we get to experience ever since the resurrection ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ when he gave this information down to the apostles. And now we are beneficiaries of it.